couple other quick announcements. Thanks, Mandy. Um, we've got a crew that's in Nicaragua right now working with this organization we love called Sunica. And so you're going to hear more about them and their trip, um, but they're they're in Nicaragua over the Thanksgiving break. So I would encourage you to keep praying for them. And then um, one last thing um, I wanted to prep you for so that you can be ready for next week. We are partnering with about five other churches right around our vicinity here to support um, some lower-income families at Arvada High, uh, High School during the holidays. Now, this is the coolest thing. What we've done, what they've done, the assistant principal, Mark Abling, has, has uh, identified a few families that are, are on the verge of homelessness or are homeless or are just in a tight spot, and we want to do a little bit to help them out during the holidays. And so our church has adopted seven or eight families. And what we're going to do is um, uh, offer that opportunity to you um, to adopt a family with your small group or with maybe just your own family. You want to do the whole thing. Um, But these are high school students who have filled out a form about what kind of gifts they want to give their family. It's just really powerful. And, um, and so we're going to, we have a little bit of back end organization to do on that on our end, the staff. And then next week, we're going to make that available. But it's somewhat of a quick turnaround. And so if you're interested in being a part of that, approach one of us. We want to make sure that you get in on it. Um, but we have to turn all that around by like December 11th. We need to turn it all in on December 16th. So if you're interested in that, we can talk. Um, but before we go on, we're going to continue as a church to talk about hard things and pray about hard things. And a hard thing again happened last night. If you're just new to a news feed this morning, there was a shooting in Colorado Springs last night at a gay nightclub, and it's just another Colorado shooting. And what I don't want to be is the kind of a community that just doesn't talk about these things and doesn't pray about these things um, because um, there's a tendency in our world to just get numb and to push hard things aside. And so we are going to continue once again to pray for all these families and for this community. And we're going to pray in much the way that the psalmist prayed. Um, If you're familiar with Psalm 40, uh, there's a, 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 a constant lament that the psalmist gives to God that just says, how long is this going to go on? How long? And so I want to just take a moment and pray. And... um, That's all we can do. So let's, let's pray together. Father, this morning we are confronted again with the evil and the darkness in this world that manifests itself through gun violence, through the kind of hatred that would want to kill people. And we are so tired we are so, it's almost like the tears don't 
There's no more tears. There's just, we're exhausted. God, we pray for this community in the springs. We pray for the people who were there and witnessed it. We pray for the people who stopped the shooter. We lift up the families of these men and women who passed away, who were killed. We were at a loss. And we, as um, your people, cling to the words of the psalmist penned thousands and thousands of years ago. When evil manifested itself in different ways through the hearts of human beings. How long? How long, O oh Lord, until this doesn't happen again? How long do we have to wait and endure this? It's a prayer of lament. We hate this evil. God, will you continue to keep our hearts softened? As hard as it is to experience and to deal with the pain that's happening in our world, God, we, you don't want us to be the kind of people that, that don't engage in the pain of this world. And so, God, we pray all these things in your name. We know that one day you will wipe away every tear. Amen. Awkward transition. Happy birthday, church. <laughs> we have cupcakes in the back for later. Um, I just want you to know I love this church. Um, been thinking a lot about today. Um, a year ago today, it's interesting. I don't, I don't know, on your birthday, you probably look back to a year ago and think about all the things that have happened. Um, some good, some not. Um, it's been a lot of good and a lot of not. I think about uh, where we were a year ago. Some of you may remember, you were a part of us. We were in um, another church's gymnasium. And we were finishing a conversation uh, actually about the Psalms. And we had uh, a, big, a big lunch together. We had a bounce house. It was nuts. And uh, our family that afternoon got on a plane and went to England. And uh, we, we didn't even have this building yet. We had raised a bunch of money. We, we didn't know what that looked like yet. And so, um, but here we are. And there's a lot that's happened this year. And what I want to do is kind of come to the end of this conversation we're having about Tov. And if you're new, uh, we've been talking about the Hebrew word Tov. And Tov is this word that we translate good. And in the beginning of the scriptures, there's an account of, of God creating uh, all of the things and saying, it's good, it's good. And then he gets to human beings and he says, they are very good. And what's interesting is this word is a word that when we think of the word good, we, it just, meaning is lost. 
And in Hebrew, it actually means something bigger and more beautiful. It actually means something that functions properly. When Yahweh looked at his handiwork, he did not just see that it was good, like you and I think of the word good. He said it is functional. It's like a well-oiled machine. It worked. It did what it was supposed to do. And that's been our whole conversation for the last number of, of weeks. And we look around our world and we're like, that's not working how it should. This isn't working how it should. My, my soul doesn't feel like it's working how it should. And the whole point of the conversation is not to um, make ourselves feel bad. It's actually to kind of give us a bigger dream to dream about. Returning to what looks like goodness. And we've been dreaming about what it looks like to be kind of a community that is shooting for goodness, shooting for Tov together. Not only as individuals but, and as families, but as a community. We wanted, we've talked about, uh, I'm just going to list a few things we've talked about. We've talked about being a people of peace in an age full of anxiety and angst. We've talked about being a people of rest in a culture that doesn't stop. We've talked about uh, being a people who worship God with our minds and we let scripture tell us a better story of how the world is supposed to be. We talked about being a people who look for ways to enact biblical justice through being simple, living our lives simply and generously. We talked about the people who stay committed to each other in community and open our homes up, open our tables up to, in hospitality. And then last week, if you missed last week, our friend Gabe Nip from the Springs came up and he shared about people who participate in the, people, in, in the kingdom of God. And so, like, what does that look like? How do we do it? How do we architect this kind of life? How do we, how do we engage in, in a sense, like, being counter, like, counterformation? Like, our world forms us. How do we engage in counterformation to experience what this goodness is? Now, I, I'm going to change things up a bit today. Up until this morning when I woke up really early, I had 13 pages of notes. Normally, and you guys are like, you talk a long time. Normally, I have like 10. This is a 13-pager. I'm not going to do that to you. Some of you one person said, yeah. Um, I'm not going to do that. I, this morning, I was just been, actually, even yesterday, I've been wrestling like, how do I want to do this? Like, there's so much. I mean, I could talk for a long time, and it'll bore you, and all you want is cupcakes. So we're going to do things a little different, and I'm going to ask some questions, and we're going to do a little group participation. Who's pumped for some group participation? All right. So if you're not awake enough, you need to get coffee. Just get up. Go get coffee. Come back. We're going to have a chat, okay? Um, but I'm going to start with a quote, as I do. Um, and this comes from a guy named Dave Kinnaman who wrote the book a number of years ago called Unchristian. Listen to this quote. Most people in America, when they are exposed to the Christian faith, are not being transformed. Let that sink in. They take one step into the door 
and the journey ends. They're not being allowed, encouraged, or equipped to love or to think like Christ. Yet in many ways, a focus on spiritual formation fits what a new generation is really seeking. Transformation is a process, a journey, not a one-time decision. Now, this is a conversation we've had in the past. Some of you are probably, some of you who've grown up in the church um, have wrestled with me telling you that there's nowhere in the Bible does it talk about um, a personal relationship with Jesus, inviting Jesus into your heart and going to heaven when you die. Do you guys remember these conversations we've had? <laughs> and, and yet at the same time, it's so much bigger and there's so much more going on in the story. Now today, what I want to ask is the question, how do we change? How do you change? And this is actually a question I'm literally asking you. And I want your mouth <laughs> to respond to me. <laughs> so it's not a hypothetical, oh, it's speaker question. No, this is an actual question. How do you change? Like, think about your life in the major areas of your life and the moments of your life. How have you changed? What has led to the change that you've experienced in your life? You can... Go for it. It starts with wanting to, yeah. I mean, I guess, yeah. So there's something that came up in you that was a desire to want to change. Right. Okay. Or else you're going to be whatever. Right. Go for it. For, for experience for me, mine wasn't because I wanted to change. It was I had to change. So you had to change. You reached a point in your life where you, it was like... You reached the end, and you have to go a different direction. Yeah, there was, that, was, that was the only way out. Was, right. And it was starting with the mind. Right. Yeah, and some of it was probably a difficult, it was a difficult season in your life. That's my guess. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Good. Yeah. So sometimes we hit a really hard moment in our life, and we find ourselves, well, we got to change. Something's got to change, right? Something's got to, you know, and that, that comes from the desire. That's where the desire comes to change is because we realize, well, we have to change. What, how, how else do we change? Yeah. Stepping out of your natural pattern. So there's certain patterns we have in our lives, and we're going to talk about patterns and habits that unless we stop doing those and adopt new ones, we're never going to, we're going down the same road. Somebody else. People. Exactly. So new people in your life have an influence. For good or bad. I lost something. There we go. That's some weird stuff. Did you guys hear that? I want to change that. So new people in your life come into your life for good or bad. We used to always talk about this in youth ministry. I used to tell the students all the time, the friends you hang out with change the direction and quality of your life. And that's also the case for adults. Did you have some? People. Yeah, very good. 
surprises. Yeah. Whether it's an event or, yeah. Very good. Yeah. Well, yeah, what you consume. Digital media, whatever. Yeah. Introspection. Thinking deeply about your life, reflecting on your life, and then, and in a sense, wanting to change something. Right? Does that make sense? Is that right? Right. Man, this sermon's preaching itself. Who else? <laughs> yeah. Um, I found, too, like, getting rid of old habits, like some feel mm-hmm. but also finding new habits that you can implement. Like, I found for myself, a lot of the times, if I try to do complete 180 and change all at once, it's mm-hmm. longer and maintain, rather than finding little habits that I can implement on a daily basis. Right. Like this massive willpower dump, right? Yeah doesn't always work, but it's these subtle changes that begin to change, right? I had some more things going on, yeah. Practice. Practice. It's almost like you knew what I was going to talk about today. <laughs> kind of. Yeah. Letting go. letting go. Yeah, letting go. Of some, there's some things we just have to let go of. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Which is a... There we go. Yeah. <laughs> Obedience. Yeah. It's just to the word of God. Absolutely. Listen, we know these things, right? But I think it, it, when you think about a, a church community, which I think about us a lot, I don't know if you guys know that, it's like this weird thing because it's my job. As, in a sense, what, what the scriptures call your pastor, which is a humbling thing, that my, my role is to, to help us with the help of our leadership team and our staff to kind of shepherd us into a certain direction. Now, I want you to know something. There's a lot of times in, um, in the church biz... <laughs> It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, sometimes a very yucky biz. And if you, you don't need stories. But the point is, um, I think a lot about where we're headed as a church. And uh, one of the things that you need to know, and I'm trying to find the little line. This is, see, this is what happens when you don't go in order. Um, the only thing worse th- about... Um, not tracking how you're uh, not tracking your church's growth is is really not having a plan for how your church grows, how our church changes. And I've been thinking a lot about our church, like I said, and I'm really wanting you to know something really important. Um, and this, you've heard these little pieces before, but I'm not interested in how many people come to church on Sunday. And this has been something that I've had to wrestle out of me for uh, my, a lot of my life. I, li- I, w- I worked in different churches that they were all about how many people came. How many people came on Sunday? How many kids do you have in your youth group? You know, on and on and on. It was a numbers game. And what churches began to do was architect the life of their church around the church 
growing in numbers. Okay? And there were some very well-meaning people that would argue with me right now to my face that say, well, that's numbers are important. That means you're growing, and growth means, you know. But I think we've come to a point in the culture of this world that it's more important who we are becoming as a community versus how big we are getting. And it's really important for you to hear that. Because we're trying to architect a different kind of community here. And it's hard. And what you need to know is that many of you are, are really, you're changing, you're transforming, you are, and you are in probably some of the hardest points of your life. And so there's this weird kind of um, disconnect sometimes. We have this uh, thing that happens in our heads that think, oh, changing um, and becoming more like Jesus is actually supposed to feel good. It's supposed to feel like, um, anybody ever go to summer camp or a youth group retreat? It's supposed to be like, oh, this feels so good. I feel like I'm changing. Most of the change that you and I go through in our lives is hard. We go through difficult seasons in our lives. And a lot of times what happens for people is they like try to pull back during difficult seasons, especially in a church community. I've seen over and over and over again in the life of our church that when a family starts going through something difficult, they pull away. They pull away because it's hard. When you walk through the doors of a church and you you're, you're feel like the insides are just caving in, it's hard. It's hard to be around other people. So I just want to just lay that out there because the pattern of what scripture says about changing has everything to do with four things. The first one is truth. And in scripture, it talks all the time about the way of truth, about what is true, what is good. Jesus starts in his whole ministry in Mark chapter one, it says this, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. He says, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Now that word repent, and I've said this before, is metaneo, which means to change your mind. To change your mind. To have a different imagination about what the world is and what the world should be. And that's what our whole conversation has been. To reimagine your life around the kingdom of God and then reorient your, your whole body, your life around the kingdom. That's what it means to repent. It doesn't mean to sit in the corner and feel bad about something you've done. It, it means much more than that. It means coming to the end of the cul-de-sac um, and, and coming and hitting a wall and going, I want to turn a different direction. It's about replacing story. And for some of us, it's, it's about learning a better version of what God intends for us and going, wait a second, that's not the story I'm living by. Some of us are living by stories that are just not right, 
Maybe it's a story that someone's told you about who you are and it's just not true. Romans 12 talks about this. Paul talks about, uh, we've, we've shared this in this series, therefore I urge you brothers and sisters, and he always has this kind of familial feel about his letter, in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to this pattern or a habit of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. For Paul, the first step to transformation is renewing the mind. And so part of our kind of strategy going forward is about our minds and about truth and about scripture and about an alternative story to reality than our world tells us. Um, and we're going to talk about community. Mary mentioned people in our lives. Brooke was going to back that up too, that there are people that come into our lives. How we change is also with each other. That there's really, we say this all the time, that you can't follow Jesus alone. That it's not just me and, me and God, me and God, I'm going to just do my thing and I'm going to stay kind of um, to myself. No, it's a very difficult, uh, vulnerable thing to be in community with people. And sometimes I really believe that God works, his spirit works through others in our lives. And then Jaden talked about practices and we talked about habits and these things in our lives that actually do things to us. Do you know that the things you do actually do things to you? They literally do, it's, I hate to use this phrase, but it's science. Some of you get freaked out, like, oh, we're talking about science. No, it's literally neurobiology. The things you do habitually form you. And if that's the case, then we have to continually figure out what our habits are. On our website, we actually have something in our resources page called a habits audit. It's, it's literally a way that you can ask yourself questions about what are the habits I have in my life and how are they forming me? There's a great author um, that we've read. I've read a few of his books now. He is a neuroscientist and a therapist. And... Uh, I would encourage you to check him out, Dr. Kurt Thompson. He writes this. Neurons that repeatedly activate in a particular pattern are statistically more likely to fire in the same pattern the more they are activated. Once the initial neurons in a network fire, there is a high probability that the related neurons will also activate and move along the same bioelectrical pathway to the end of that network. What is he saying? The more frequently those patterns have been fired, the more easily they will fire in that same pattern in the future. That is why you may immediately recall ingredients and steps to prepare spaghetti, which you make every week, but need to consult the cookbook when preparing a holiday dish you haven't made in years. Here's the point. He is saying that when we think the kind of thoughts after God, 
um, it begins to change the patterns of our life. When we do certain habits, it's like hacking through a, a jungle with a machete. At first, it's really hard and arduous, and it takes a long time. But the more you take that same trail, the easier that trail becomes. And the reason why I tell you this is that in order for you and I to change, fundamentally change, we need an alternative story to the story that our world tells us. We need people in our lives that are on that same journey. And we need to take some intentionality when it comes to the practices in our lives. And I think to become a church, a community of goodness, that you and I have to architect not only our lives, but the life of our church around practice together. Matthew 5.19 is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. And it says this, Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches other accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of God. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of God. This is this weird thing that Jesus is saying. He's actually telling a group of Jewish people who are used to practicing it was just part of their architecture and their faith was practice. That they need to practice these things. And it's funny, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount is the one I read during the worship. It's the story, you know, the, the illustration of the guy who builds his house on the rock versus the sand. And it's like a total brutal way to end a sermon. <laughs> I mean, like usually... <laughs> You're taught in public speaking to kind of wrap it all up, to make feel people, people feel encouraged and good and motivated. And Jesus ends with, the rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. And then he walked off. <laughs> See, the same house got beat against, right? But one life was built on something Better. And, and I, I know the, the very churchy thing was, it was built on Jesus, but it was built with intentionality. See the difference? Jesus bookends the Sermon on the Mount with practice. Jesus assumes that his way of living is living is going to take a lifetime of practice. Like you're never going to nail it. You, you're never going to get to like a point. And those of you who have been praying faithfully for years, you know this. You never get to a point where like, I've mastered prayer. I've totally nailed generosity. I've checked off hospitality. I've done enough of that. Now, here's the thing, church, I'm not, I'm, not adding, I'm not trying to add a whole bunch of to-dos to you. This isn't, practice isn't to-do stuff. We were at the symphony last night. It was beautiful, it was wonderful. If you've never been to a symphony, go, ch go check out the Colorado Symphony, it's fantastic. And one of the things that always amazes me about the symphony is you have all these different instruments, all these different people 
all these different backgrounds, and they love music, but they love kind of their world of music, and then they bring their world of music together with other people's world of music, and then they play together, and it sounds amazing. But the amount of practice that that community goes through, not only individually, but corporately, is astounding. I mean, it is astounding. And that's what this is. You're part of a symphony. Your life as an individual, as you practice generosity and scripture, if you, as you practice prayer, just even a taste of it, and you bring that with you, gathering like this, and we practice together, And here's the thing, it's not an issue of like, well, Ryan, that sounds like a lot of effort and work, and I heard that it's all grace. You don't have to do all that stuff. You heard wrong. You heard wrong. And that's why that quote I shared with you, Dave Kinman, he's like, he's, he's interviewed so many people. He's taken all these stats of people who've gone to church their whole life. And it, he just feels like what he's learned is a lot of people have entered into a church and they're pretty much the same person. They just go to church. And he's saying this next generation of followers of Jesus actually want to practice what it looks like to follow Jesus. And I don't know if you remember, but a number of years ago, we kind of started having this conversation about what does it look like to follow Jesus. And um, we, we um, kind of came up with this little, we didn't come up with it, we kind of adopted a Dallas Willard line from one of his books, be with Jesus, become like Jesus, do what Jesus did. It's kind of our little thing. I had some pastors in our church the other day for a little gathering just to encourage each other, and they're like, well, that seems pretty clear. I'm like, well, yeah, but it's still messy, right? I want to f- wrap this up by telling you a little story about the early church. The early church, as messy as it was, it wasn't perfect. But do you guys remember the story about when things started to change with a guy named Constantine. So the early church is doing its thing. They're meeting in homes. They're, they're, there's no, there's no uh, fanciness to it. They're meeting around tables. It's a total mess. Read 1 Corinthians, read 2 Corinthians. Um, <laughs> we're actually going to study the book of Romans in, starting in 23, and there's a mess there too. Um, and then there, the church, but the church grew like crazy as they cared for each other, as they served each other. There was all the one another's. There was a lot of mess. And then Constantine comes into power. And Constantine kind of sees that there's a whole bunch of Christians in the, in the, in the country, in Rome, in the Roman world. And he's like, yeah, I'm going to go with that. So he declares that Christianity is the Roman state religion. And then we talked about his nephew, Julian, who ended up ascending to the throne. And he ascends to the throne basically because of of a whole bunch of things that happened. But the problem was is that Constantine's son, who took over for Constantine, killed Julian's whole family. And then Julian comes to power and he's like, "Ah, I'm not really so much into this Jesus thing. 
It just seems like uh, the people who loved this Jesus character killed my whole family. So, And then a lot of things happen in church history. Rome is sacked by the Visigoths. The people of Rome get frustrated at the Christians. They blame the Christians for not worshiping the pagan gods and say, it's your fault. And so from that point on, a lot of things happened. One of the things that happened was that there were some people in the Christian world that decided we have to resist this state religion culture of Christianity. And there were some people within the culture of Christianity that were pushing against this state culture, meaning there was a whole bunch of wealthy people and a whole bunch of like really powerful people that just kind of became Christians and used Christianity to, in a sense, push their wealth and their power. And there were some guys like John of Christostom that pushed against that. But there were some people that actually left Rome and went into the desert, and they are called the Desert Fathers. And they lived these very simple lives in response to how wealthy and stuff Christianity had become. Why am I telling you this? <laughs> well, over a number of years, there were little groups of people that tried to adopt a way of living that was simple and meaningful and had an impact on the people around them. And these were people that started monasteries. This is an age of church history called monasticism. And it wasn't perfect. It was kind of weird at times. There were some weirdos and some creeps and stuff, but there was some really beautiful thing that came out of it. One of the things that came out of it was something called a rule of life. A rule of life. And some of you are sitting there going, cool, more rules? Well, the word rule in Latin means regula. Is, is, it doesn't mean regular. It's, that's Latin for rule. But it actually means trellis. And I bought a Home Depot trellis <laughs> that I'm going to take back. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's my rule of life. <laughs> what does this do? All right, you all said it at once. Tell me. what Holds things up. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It actually gives structure to a growing vine. Correct. What if this wasn't here? What would the vine do? Yeah. Just lay on the ground. It wouldn't be flourishing wouldn't be holding the fruit that it produced, okay? So put this picture in your head. This is what a rule of life is. Basically, I've duped you. The last 10 weeks, we've been talking about this. I know, not cool. But we've been talking about a rule of life, a way of architecting our life as people of God and as a community to flourish and grow. We talked about solitude and Sabbath. We talked about generosity. We talked about scripture. We talked about a lot of things. 
Basically, I think there's about eight or nine practices that if we start to take a little taste, start to learn how others do it, practice in community, we will see fruit. We will see beauty. And it's going to be hard. And so my encouragement for you today is to take this journey with us. If you find Jesus compelling, come along for the ride. Now I want to trick you real quick. We're done. We're about done. Four years ago, I taught you most of what I just taught you today. Four years ago, 2018, on our birthday, I shared a lot about this. Some of the same quotes, some of the same scripture. You're, you're probably like, well, what'd you do all week? You just copied and pasted that old sermon? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but a lot has happened in four years. I sit with many of you who are rethinking your faith. You're like, That's, that seems like garbage now. Like this, this thing I used to believe, this way of operating as a church, this way I used to see myself and how God saw me is just not working for me anymore. That's, I love that. Have those conversations. Let's have those. Some of you in the last four years, because of COVID and, and family relationships and stuff like that, you've just you've pushed away. You've, you've more isolated yourself out of defense. Some of you have become disillusioned, which is not a bad thing, because the word disillusion means no more that you've the illusion that wasn't real has been moved away. And that's a good thing, but it's a hard thing. And so it's not the time for us as a church to double down and try to out-Sunday other churches. Do you know what I mean by out-Sunday other churches? Like be cooler speaker, you know, louder music, you know. It, we're not trying to out-Sunday other churches because I really don't necessarily care about how many people come. And it's not time for us as a church to kind of wall ourselves off from the world and go, everything outside of the wall's bad. We got to stay in here and stay good. Um, and, and it's not time for us to like fight some culture war against the world. It's time for us to practice the way of Jesus. Right here, right now, together. And I want, it, I want you to know that that's our heart. Do we know all the hows yet? No. <laughs> we don't know all the hows yet. We're going to play around this in 2000, right at the beginning of the year, we're going to do some practices together where there's going to be a prayer practice that's happening. We're going to talk about scripture at the beginning of the year and just maybe reawaken your love and your longing for scripture again in your life. That's our hope. Um, house churches that used to meet every other Sunday, I want to encourage you to gather again, even just to reconnect 
Um, some of you are, don't feel like you're connected to this place. We want you, just hear that, we want you to feel connected. Um, and we want to do everything we can. Just help us, <laughs> like help us help you. <laughs> like we, we don't have all the architecture in place to do it all yet, but that's what we want. And so finally, this is my last pitch. Tomorrow night, I'm doing something totally kind of impromptu. We are doing a small, we are doing a brief gathering to pray together. Right here. If you can make it, if one of you can come and the other stays with the kids or whatever, if there's three of us, if there's 30 of us, it doesn't matter. We want to pray about where God is taking us as a church. No other agenda. Cool? All right. Happy birthday. Oh, I didn't even say that. 6.30. Can we do 6.30? 6.30 work? We're just going to make this up as we go. So is 6.30 too early or too late? 6.30 okay? Thank you. 6.30 tomorrow night. Let's pray. God, thank you for this community. Thank you for another birthday. And we are eager to step more and more towards what it looks like to be a community of goodness. And it's overwhelming and it's exciting. God, we yearn for what you intend in us. We pray these things in your name. Amen.